All right, folks. It's good to be with you. We're having some technical difficulties this morning, but nonetheless, grab a Bible and turn to John chapter 10. My name's Brad. I'm one of the elders here at Mercy Hill Church, and we're happy to be with you today. While you're looking for John chapter 10 in the scriptures, just a couple of updates for you. First and foremost, the room that I am standing in will have air conditioning, Lord willing, by August the 30th. And so we are going to welcome those of you who are able to regather. We'll have four spaces that are available. Uh, We will obviously continue our live stream. There will be space to sit here on the floor. We've also got about 100 chairs on the on the sides for social distancing. So that's space one. Space two will be in the balcony. Uh, For those who want to be a little further away and maybe a little more isolated when it comes to social distancing, we have our balcony that's available. And then the third space will be we will not have child care. And so for families who show up and maybe they have um, a child who is just a little long to sit for an hour, we have our family room where we'll have a TV and the live stream will be available. And then fourth, uh, we just continue to invite you to, to watch the live stream from home as many of you uh, have been doing and uh, we know as many of you will continue to do. But in the midst of those four choices, we just hope that you'll be intentional with whichever choice you make. Consider, if you're hanging out with people on Saturday night, maybe you have just a small group of friends now that you're socializing with or a neighbor that you're having over, consider having a physical watch party and inviting them to come over and watch the live stream along with you, just like you would invite them to come to the physical building. Um, There's lots of different ways that we can continue to be creative during this time. Also, I would just say that we can use your help As we get things set up in this room to regather, we're going to need more volunteers. And so Samantha is going to be leading our connection team who are going to be offering some of the protocols that are needed. We're going to put out a video in the next week or so that shows you exactly what it'll be like to show up here. But we need a few volunteers just to greet and take temperatures and do some of those things that are needed. So if you are interested in volunteering... Email info at mercyhillmemphis.org and let us know. We need help with our technical team and we also need help with our uh, connection team. On the tech team, you don't need to have any of it, any experience. Um, we can train you in what you need to know and the same for the connection team. But we need just a handful of volunteers, just two or three or four more on each of those teams. So if you're available, please let us know. Info at mercyhillmemphis.org. We are excited about having HVAC in this room. It's usually about 90 degrees up here. And I've been talking with uh, the guys who have been working to install it over the last two weeks. It's a split unit system and the system in the in the attic on the fourth floor is a little bigger than an SUV. This is a huge system. Uh, it's costing $100,000 and we're thankful that we're not having to pay for that. And so we're going to enjoy this uh, air conditioning like we've never enjoyed air conditioning before. I know you're excited uh, to regather with us. As you grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 10, we had some technical difficulties um, 
we, Jeff was so gracious to record the scripture and read it for us. Thank you, Jeff Hendricks. I'm sorry that didn't work. Let me jump in and read today's scripture. It's John 10, verses 22 through 42. Follow along with me as I read. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him and Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, You are God's? If he called them God's to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, You are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him and they said... John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Today, I want to take a few minutes to unpack the context of this passage. And it's a very sorrowful and dark passage in a lot of ways. But I want to unpack a little bit of history in the beginning for about 10 minutes. And then I want to take about... 10 minutes and apply this passage to our lives. So stick with me. I don't know about you guys, but has anybody been thinking about Christmas? I know that may sound strange, but I texted my wife this last week and said, I can't wait for Christmas. And she wrote back that I was a weirdo. I don't know why, but I, I truly get excited about Christmas. I'm excited about decorating the church building and my office and our home. And I think this passage got me thinking about Christmas because it's the time of Hanukkah. Now think about your most memorable Christmases. And I would just challenge you. I think this Christmas during the pandemic, even though it will be far different than probably any other Christmas we've experienced... I think it'll be memorable because memories come from situations and circumstances where things go wrong, where they don't happen as normal. I mean, some of my most memorable Christmases were, remember that year 
when we all got the flu. I mean, everyone got the flu. And finally, we were able to get over the flu just in time. To Everyone had their meds and we weren't contagious anymore. And we were able to travel and see our family. And it was, it was so great because we didn't think we were going to be able to make it. Or I remember that year where, for my parents, it probably wasn't a very good year. Growing up, I received one bicycle and I found it. I found my Christmas present that year and my mom and dad were so mad. But that's one of the Christmas stories that I remember, finding my gift ahead of time. Christmas brings about this kind of nostalgia and this feeling for us in which we're more likely to help others who are in need. Just because of the season. Well, a similar thing was happening in Jesus' time. This was a time that was called the Feast of Dedication. And it wasn't the time of Christmas, but it was the time of Hanukkah. Now, most people don't know a lot about Hanukkah. Maybe all you know about Hanukkah is what Adam Sandler taught you through SNL when he's saying, it's time for Hanukkah, put on your yarmulke. There's more to Hanukkah than Adam Sandler's song about Hanukkah. Um, A little brief history just to let you know what the people were experiencing, what they were feeling during this time. The time of Hanukkah came during the intertestamental period. Stick with me, kids, for like a three-minute history lesson, okay? The intertestamental period was about 400 years between Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and when Jesus came. So we count down before Christ, we count down to zero, and then at the time of Jesus' birth, we count forward. So about the fourth century B.C., before Christ, Alexander the Great took over the world. And as he takes over the Jews, he brings in a term called Hellenization, which just meant that Greek culture began to influence most of the known world, but especially the Jewish world. So they all of a sudden, they're taught this language, culture influences them, and everything around their world uh, is very similar to the Greeks who are around them. Now, something took place in 167 B.C. There was a guy who was a um, pretty bad guy. His name was Antiochus IV. You, you might recognize the name Antiochus Epiphanes. Well, he was a Greek ruler who decided to force Hellenization among the Jews. In other words, not only do you have to just speak our language, and not only do you have to be a part of our culture, but we're going to actually force you not to live in light of your culture. So there's no more sacrificing in the temple. In fact, we're going to defame your temple and we're going to sacrifice a pig on the altar. We're going to build, um, we're going to build an altar there where you can now sacrifice to our gods and we're going to make you sacrifice. There's no longer a Sabbath. You can't worship on the Sabbath. You, you can no longer practice circumcision. All these traditions that have been a part of the Jewish way of life, they sought to snuff them out. Well, there was a guy named Matthias who was a priest, and he had had enough of it. And one day when the representative from uh, the Roman government was there, along with the priest, and they were told to make a sacrifice um, to a pagan deity... Matthias said he had had enough and he killed them both. And his sons 
came along with him and they formed an army and they escaped to the mountains and they literally waged guerrilla warfare on, on the army there. And they eventually defeated the Seleucid army. And as they came back into the temple, they purified it. And they set the altar back up and they said, we're going to worship again. And so some of you know this as the Maccabean revolt. And as they purify everything, they find a little bit of oil, only about enough oil. And this is where the lights from Hanukkah come from. Only enough oil for one night that was purified oil that could be burned in the temple. And as they light the lights, all of a sudden for eight days straight miraculously, according to tradition, Jewish tradition the lights burned. And that was the time that it would take for new oil to be purified. And the Jews saw this as a miracle from God that he was blessing them as they began to practice their religion again. So it's at this time, the time of Hanukkah, that everyone is excited about the fact that they can worship. And they are looking to Jesus. And in this context, they are curious. And they, they're saying, are you the one? Are you the Christ? Are you like the Maccabean revolt that would bring freedom? Their hopes are high. And they're looking to Jesus. Now look in verse 23. Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. It was very cold. This was a covered colonnade. And so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not, you're not part of my flock. There's been mounting opposition against Jesus all the way back to chapter 7 is when he began teaching in the temple. And he's taught in the temple all the way from chapter 7 up until the middle of chapter 10 where we see this, this passage that Chris taught us last week. This wonderful passage about uh, Jesus, the good shepherd. And there's been mounting opposition during this time because Jesus has been performing signs. And each sign pointed to what his kingdom would be like. So he turned water into wine. He fed the 5,000. He healed the lame man. And he healed um, one of the official's sons. And then he healed the man who was blind from birth. And all of these miracles produce a curiosity among the people. But especially a curiosity during this time at Hanukkah. They were looking for a Messiah who would come and completely rescue them from Roman rule. And in this passage, the Jews refers to religious leaders. And they have reached their breaking point. They are seeking to kill Jesus. Verse 31 says that they picked up stones to stone him because Jesus is claiming to be God. And in this text, we see this incredible opposition to Jesus most of this discourse involves Jesus defending his miracles and it ends with unbelief and anger on the part of the Jews as they attempt to arrest Jesus. It's a really dark passage. It's dark and it's sad. And it's a sad text not only in this day, but it's a sad text in our day as well. Because there are many people who reject Jesus and who hate him. They refuse to worship him. In the same way that people today would declare him to be just a good man or someone who set a good example. But still, people reject Jesus. They refuse to acknowledge him as the Savior of the world. And to acknowledge their own need for forgiveness. But, 
in the midst of this darkness and in the midst of this dark time, Jesus leaves us with some hugely encouraging words in this very cold and dark time in his life and ministry. And I want to just spend the next about 10 to 12 minutes concentrating on these words that he leaves us. They're found in verses 27 through verse 30. Because as we look at this, Jesus describes the joy that comes in being known. In the midst of this opposition and this darkness, as many people would seek to oppose Jesus, Jesus would say, you don't understand because you're not part of my flock. But there are many, rather there are a few, who are part of my flock. And those who are known by me, they are chosen and they are loved. The big idea that I want you to hear today, and I, I want you to take this with you this week. And in the midst of hard times, I want, I want you just to, to dwell on this. So write this down. The big idea is this. There's no greater reality than to be chosen and loved by God. There's no greater reality in this life than to be chosen and loved by God. So often when we think of the Christian life, we think of it as kind of a set of responsibilities or a set of rules and regulations that we need to carry out if we're going to really be a good Christian. But there can be nothing further from the truth I mean, most of us live with this constant sense that we have to be good enough. And the whole point of Christianity is that we aren't good enough. And that we're not courageous enough. And that we're not humble enough. And that we're most certainly not holy enough. But Jesus is. And he is our good shepherd who shows us that the Christian life is a story of wandering sheep who've been taught to lie down in green pastures and to be led by streams of water that refresh our souls. And that's the story of the Christian life that we have a good shepherd who refuses to leave us no matter how far we wander and we stray. Three results of following Jesus. The first one we see in verse 27 is the fact that we are known. We are known. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Hear me this morning when I say, God is for you. Now, believe that. What do you need in your life in order to believe that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have submitted your life to Him, that God is for you. He knows you by name. And He knows everything about you. He knows everything that you've done in the past. And He knows everything that you will do. And He loves you. Not because of the things that you've accomplished, but because of Jesus. And you can trust him. You can trust and believe that God is for you and that he loves you because he is humble. God is humble. Imagine all the ways that he could have described himself. And Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. He describes himself as a lowly, humble shepherd 
Imagine that. You can trust humble people because humble people have time for others. They listen. They provide space where we can be known. We feel we can trust humble people because they aren't always just seeking their own good. But they're seeking the good of others. And Jesus placed his comfort aside and he laid down his life for his sheep. Are you convinced that you are known and that you are loved by God? Are you convinced of that? What do you need to remind yourself of this week in order to believe that truth that God loves me? That he is for me. That I am known by God. Secondly, we see that not only is there a result of being known by God as we follow Jesus. But those who follow Jesus are also secure. Look at verse 28. He says, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. You may have heard uh, a message on this before. I've often heard messages in which Pastors will go straight to this verse and they'll just, they'll hone in just on this verse and say that if you know Jesus, if you've come to know him and been baptized and you've joined a church, then you'll, you're eternally secure that no one can snatch you out of his hand. And I think if we're not careful, we can promote an easy believism or, um, We can promote a way of thinking about grace and cheapening it. The truth is, is that verse 28 is connected to verse 27. Is that Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And as a result of that, that as we hear his voice, as we follow Jesus, that's what true sheep do. And we don't do that in order to earn our salvation. But we do that because God has transformed our hearts and our lives. And we can look at our life and we can ask the question, do I see God's good fruit in my life? Not that we're perfect all the time, but do we see a good shepherd who continually comes back to us as we wander and as we stray and he draws us back into the fold as we meet him at the point of repentance. Jesus is saying that for his sheep that they will never perish and that no one will snatch them out of his hand because not because of our righteousness but because of his righteousness because his grace and not because of our works Listen to Ephesians 2 and be encouraged. Ephesians 2, this should be familiar to many of you who have studied the scriptures. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, Paul writes about this amazing grace that's been offered to us. Just listen to these beautiful words. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, 
Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in in them. It's Jesus' righteousness and God's grace that makes us secure. I read this poem by Wendell Berry last week and I want to share it with you. It's so encouraging to me. It comes from his Sabbath poems. It's from a stanza in the poem The Farm. Listen closely. To rest, go to the woods where what is made is made without your thought of work. Sit down, begin the wait for small trees to grow big, feeding on earth and light. Their good result is song. The winds must bring that trees, your seniors standing thus, Acknowledged in your eyes, stand as your praise and prayer. Your rest is in this praise of what you cannot be and what you cannot do. I was so encouraged by that poem because I was reminded that when we go in the woods, when we look at God's beautiful creation, We are reminded of a world that exists around us without our work and without even our being that God in his mercy and his grace causes this creation to flow. And that God today is at work in our lives that there is strength and security that comes in submitting ourselves to God's power. His power that's so much greater than anything we can possibly grow or produce or control in our infinite, limited, I'm sorry, in our finite and limited beings. Jesus is the good shepherd. When we submit our lives to him, even to his rod and in his staff, Even in those tools, he is still good to us. Good sheep are secure because they surrender to the shepherd's rod and staff. Let me just ask, are you lying down in green pastures? Are you submitting yourself to this good shepherd who who knows us and who we are secure in? How can you daily remember this next week to follow the good shepherd, to follow him, to trust him in all things, 
Even in his rod and even in his staff. I was reminded this morning, even in technical difficulties, uh, I will not tell you how many times we changed computers and ran new wires and changed programs. Even in those technical difficulties. At one point I said, good gravy! And I could have said a lot worse, but I even went back and told the team, like, I said good gravy, but the truth of the matter is that God, I believe, even is at work in his providence, even in the difficulties of life. Because I'm reminded this morning that God's not dependent upon me and that God is at work in our lives. He is a good shepherd. Finally, I'll leave you with this. Three results of following Jesus. We are known, we are secure, and we are chosen. Very simply, in verse 29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. When we are chosen by God the Father and given to Jesus as His sheep, it is the most amazing thing in our lives. There is no greater reality than to be chosen and loved by God. I'll end today. John Ortberg, in his book, Love Beyond Reason, he tells a story, and I've read this story to you before. I hope you, actually hope you'll remember it. If you don't, enjoy it for the first time. If you do remember it, I hope that as you think about your adoption in Christ, and as you remind yourself on a daily basis of the truths of the gospel that God has loved you, that he's adopted you because of Jesus' work. Hope you'll remember this story. To be loved means to be chosen. The sense of being chosen is one of the very best gifts love bestows on the beloved. It means someone has seen me as a unique person and that someone desires to come closer to me to be on the same side as I'm on. Someone believes I have a significant contribution to make. On the other hand, there's no pain quite like the pain of not being chosen. The day I'm writing this, a 10-year-old has written to dear Abby about the pain of life on the playground. All my life I've been chosen last. That's my problem. Why don't they just hang a sign on me that says, Reject. Last one to pick gets me. There's no gift like being chosen. No pain like rejection. And when a reject is chosen by someone, a life gets changed. The following is from a book called The Whisper Test. I grew up knowing I was different and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. And when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I'd fall and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family would love me. There was However, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored, Miss Leonard by name. She was short, round, happy, a sparkling lady. Annually, we had a hearing test. Miss Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class and finally it was my turn. I knew from past years 
that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something and we would have to repeat it back. Things like, the sky is blue? Or, do you have new shoes? I waited there for those words that God must have put into her mouth. Those seven words that changed my life. Miss Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. To be chosen is to be loved. Jesus says that his sheep have been chosen by the Father. That they are known, that they are secure, and that they are dearly loved. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truths of your gospel. God, so oftentimes we think about following you. And God, our hearts are misled to think that Christianity is about a set of rules or regulations or laws. Or God, things that we should do. God, our hearts fail us so often when we tend to believe that, that you are not for us. God, thank you that your sheep hear you call them by name and that we respond, God, that we respond daily in repentance. God, that we come back to you discovering that your way is the best way to live and that in repentance we find joy in you. God, would you help us this day to trust you as the good shepherd, to trust your rod and your staff, to lie down with you in green pastures, to drink in the waters that refresh our souls. God, thank you that you lead us. God, I pray for those who may be listening today who don't know you as their Lord and Savior, who don't know you as the Good Shepherd. God, I pray that they would believe that you laid down your life for them on the cross, that your works on the cross were enough, and that as they surrender to you, and follow you, God, that they can be saved. That they can live joyfully, both in this life and in the life to come. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.